you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Well, hey there, it's Oliver Banks and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. This one is episode 70. Now with so much transformation and change going on in the industry, it can be really hard to take everything on yourself. As a retailer, it's increasingly important to work and partner with outside companies to be able to bring in expertise, bring in pre-made solutions, but that does have its flip side as well. You don't have everything perfectly tailored. You don't have full control, but you do get things quickly and easily. But as a retailer, working effectively with suppliers does have its challenges as well. So I wanted to bring on a guest that really can see things from lots of different angles, see things from both sides of the fence, so to speak. So today, I'm delighted to introduce you to Andy Harding. Andy leads OpenPay as the UK Managing Director. OpenPay is a next-generation interest-free payment solution that helps consumers split their transaction over a number of different months to help ease the financial burden of making a big retail purchase. So Andy's been in this role since last year, since 2019. Previously, he's got a ton of experience at some really high-profile retailers. So recently, he's been Chief Digital Officer of the Arcadia Group, and there he was overseeing the group digital strategy across the seven different fashion brands that sit within Arcadia. He's also held senior leadership roles with Mothercare, with McKinsey, with House of Fraser, Ryman, Carphone Warehouse. And these roles have been focused around e-commerce, multi-channel, as well as various C-suite roles, chief customer officer and chief digital officer and so on, as well as a number of different advisory board roles. So lots of experience as a retailer and now experience as well as a supplier to the retailers. So I wanted to invite Andy on, as you're going to hear, and we're going to explore all about how retailers and suppliers can work effectively together. Show notes from today's episode are going to be at obandco.uk slash 70. So here we go. This is my conversation with Andy Harding of OpenPay. So today I'm delighted to welcome Andy Harding to the show. Andy, how are you doing? Very, very well. Thanks, Oliver. How are you? I'm super, thank you. And it's great to speak to you. As I was mentioning in the intro just then, what I really am interested about is your experience, both from some really senior roles and some great retailers here in the UK, as well as your current role as Managing Director of OpenPay UK. And that perspective that you will bring, having sat on, shall we say, both sides of the fence. And I suppose I really wanted to kick off with a statement or a view that has been going around the industry for a little while. And that is that whole concept of every retailer should be a tech company where they're building and creating their own solutions and propositions as opposed to working with partners and suppliers. What are your views on that, Andy? I think it's a really interesting statement. And I think that 
if we look at consumer adoption of technology now and the way that consumers engage with retail brands increasingly through devices and through screens as opposed to physically in store environments i think that retail businesses have had to learn how to differentiate their propositions through the digital medium and so that move and shift towards a more technology orientated business has been something that has become a necessity rather than a luxury and of course when businesses like amazon are leading the way from a technology perspective and demonstrating real innovation in customer experience but also the use of data and recommendations if you're a traditional retail business trying to stay relevant in today's market and with today's consumers you've got to adapt your your processes and your operations to keep pace and to meet the customer expectations that are being largely set by these technology innovators mm. so in some senses it's a requirement if you, if you you can build a a value added proposition to your brand by creating an amazing in-store environment and a beautiful brand experience and great service which i think have been the, some of the cornerstones of great retail in the past but if your customers just aren't visiting stores anymore then that becomes less of an ability to differentiate and so your ability to differentiate through technology and the way that you present your products and services through digital devices becomes more and more important and so it becomes necessary to to become more technology orientated in order to achieve that and i think that's i think that's a really big change and shift in the market so as the world shifts and we start to move into our increasingly digitally enabled world, we have to go where our customers are, right? Which is increasingly in the digital sphere. Yeah. What are your views? Do you have to do it yourself or is it better to work with companies and lose some of the control perhaps, but you manage to put the uh, pedal on the accelerator a lot more? What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, that's an interesting um, uh, question. I think a lot of retailers face when thinking about development of technology features and functions or or whole service proposition developments or innovation i think you have to ask a number of questions one you have a, a limited internal capability to build things right so that and that capability will come from a two dimensions essentially one is the infrastructure and architecture that you already have and for many retail businesses that is that is legacy so that will be old kits that has been around for a long period of time often without the modern sort of api infrastructure that allows connectivity to other technologies so that can often present quite a big challenge and barrier to retailers doing things and the second thing is the number of resources you've got to make those changes so how many developers how many project managers you know how many scrum leaders etc have you got as a capacity to make change yes when you have a series of things that you want to do you have to ask a question we've got limited capability to do it ourselves really we want to be doing the things ourselves that genuinely add value that we cannot get elsewhere for me that's that's probably the most important question is intellectual property in terms of differentiation is what i'm trying to achieve can i just purchase it off the shelf and is what i'm trying to achieve differentiated in any way from what everyone else is is doing so you know hosting cloud hosting for example there's no point in doing that yourself or having racks and racks of servers when there's there's no added advantage to doing that when you've got amazon web services and other type google cloud etc that can provide that sure so you have to ask yourself is there value in us doing it ourselves in the sense that it's it's different sufficiently different than 
than what we can buy off the shelf. If it is, if you're building a totally unique functional feature or capability for your business, then of course, that, then doing it yourself makes a lot more sense. The other, I think the second important consideration is pace. So does doing it yourself enable you to get to market with your new function feature capability? Can you do it quicker by doing it yourself? Or does a third party bring that pace and agility to you because perhaps your, you know, your teams are tied up or uh, you're working with older technology? So lots and lots of different considerations. Um, but it is one of those questions. I think the larger the business you get, the more you have a, your tech team capability grows. And the more often you see businesses bring stuff in house and they, and they, and they want to do it themselves because they're masters of their own destiny. They're in control of their user experience. They're in control of their product roadmap. I think that's a, it becomes a question that is easier to answer when you're a smaller business because you sometimes don't have the option. You don't have that capability. Yeah. So yeah, if, if it's really core to your proposition and what makes you unique, then maybe you should consider looking at doing that yourself. But if you're wanting to move really quickly and you're wanting to buy something off the shelf that is pretty standardized and frankly, you're not the expert in, then it's better to look at working with suppliers to bolt that on quickly. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's, that's a pretty good summary. I think it's there, there, obviously there are sometimes exceptions. Of course. <laughs> and, and different circumstances might play into um, people making different decisions from that. But I think that's a good summary. I think that would basically be a set of rules that I would probably stick to if I was you know, still on the other side of the fence, as you said. Sure. So, I mean, you've, you've held a number of really senior roles in big retailers. And what's your experience of working with suppliers? I mean, service suppliers rather than product suppliers. How have you found it? What's worked well? Where have the speed bumps come in? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, my experience of working with suppliers as a retailer, so sitting in my previous roles on the other side of the fence, was mixed really. I've, you know, 20 years working in digital retail. We worked with partners, I have worked with partners of all different shapes and sizes across all different technologies. And it has been a real mix. I've had some absolutely fantastic relationships with suppliers who've delivered exceptionally consistently to our needs and i've had some pretty poor relationships and you know we've had to um exit some companies in the past who weren't delivering and and it's been a real mixed bag i think there's there's some common themes i think that often drive how well a relationship goes Mm, tell us more i think alignment to goals is probably one of the most important things the more that a supplier understands what you're trying to achieve the more they will be able to tailor their product and service to those needs if they're presenting something out the box relatively vanilla without an understanding about what you're trying to achieve any configuration or integration parameters that that, that they might have they may not get right i think that comes from working closely together and investing time through the process. And again, there's no hard and fast rule about this, but I've often found when you're, when you're dealing with a smaller supplier, your importance to their business is often much bigger than when you deal with a larger supplier. And you're, the relative relationship between the supplier and the retailer often, often will, will tell a story about the kind of relationship you have. The proverbial big fish in a small pond or, or vice versa, right? Correct. 
Yeah, absolutely. Right. So if you're a big retailer and you're working with a smaller supplier, you tend to get their best people, the most senior focus from within that business. So the C-suite will take a real vested interest in knowing how the relationship's going, how the, how the performance is. And so you get a lot more of their best people and their best attention. If you're working with an enormous behemoth global supplier, yes, you often can have good relationships with them, but it, it's not often the same intimacy and the same level of focus and engagement that you get with the smaller guys. It's, again, not a hard and fast rule, but I think it's, I've seen that quite a lot. I've, I've, you know, I've worked with a startup when I was at House of Fraser building out an app for us. And it was a real risk actually taking on board a supplier of that size who didn't have any large reference clients that we could go to and ask about experience. So we took a bit of a risk. But what we found from the outset was that the cultural fit was completely in alignment to our business. And that gave us confidence that we could work with these guys. And knowing that there would be bumps on the road and knowing that there would be pain on the way, we would be able to get through that together because there was a good relationship and a good cultural fit. And I think that yeah. more than anything, that's important. You know, if, you, if your two businesses are aligned, and not just from a, aligned so that the supplier understands your objectives, but aligned from a value perspective, if you're a values-driven business, if that's important in the way that you, you, know, you engage with your staff and et cetera, if the supplier feels the same way and has the same philosophy about running a business, the cultural fit often will, will work. Everything will just gel together and people yeah, will get yeah. on and it will be a productive uh, yes. conversations and meetings, et cetera. Correct. And, and I think that that's important. So when you're, you know, when you do have problems or you do have challenges on the way, things don't work out as you wanted them to, the ability to resolve them is so much easier and quicker because you're aligned and you, and you, and you have a, a good relationship. So yeah, I've, I've always felt that with all of my experience of working on the other side as a retailer, all the supply relations I've had that I've fostered over a long period of time have been because there's been alignment to our business objectives, but also an alignment from a value point of view and a cultural point of view. And actually, you know, many suppliers that I've had in the past who are no longer suppliers are still friends. You know, I, I've you know found that I continued the relationship beyond the working relationship, business relationship. And now I'm on the other side, on the supply side. Yeah. Even now, you know, many, many of those people I still consider to be friends. So. I think it's I think that's important. That's really useful. And have you got any tips? How have you worked out if there is going to be a good alignment to the goals and the culture in the past? Is it is it sort of gut feel? Have you got any particular approach that you would take? I think you can gauge how someone is going to work with you often early the very first interaction that you have with them. It's like interviewing somebody. You know, when you interview somebody, often I find the the questions that they ask you at the end of the interview, you know, you, you, you ask them lots of questions, a candidate lots of questions to try and understand their fit. But then the number of questions they ask you the other way, I think often says as much about their fit for the business as your question. So how insightful their questions are, how detailed and interested they are in the business. It, and I think that works exactly the same way as suppliers. When, when you meet with suppliers and they're really interested beyond just signing the contract, achieving the goal of a sales target, if they're really interested in your business and want to try and understand how well they're going to be able to operate as a supplier, that really tells me a lot about the, how the relationship is going to go forward. You know, their, their, their ability to listen and understand, you know, I think, is possibly one of the best indicators of how their future relationship is going to go. Yeah, that's fantastic advice, rather than, I suppose, just having more of a a functional or transactional meeting where it's like, right, 
these are the 15 questions I need to know. Dun, 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 dun. Right. Thanks very much. We'll get you a quote in the post sort of thing, you know. Exactly. Actually, let's really understand what, you, what it is you want to do, how you're working with your customers, how the solution would fit in and all of that. I can see actually that would really set the tone up well right from the off. Yeah, and I think in, in the level of people you engage with often tells you a lot about the focus that they will present. If, you know, if, if again, it's not a hard and fast rule, but the more senior people that engage with you through the process, not just from the very first meeting, and then you're, you know, increasingly as the meetings go on and you're worked through a sales pipeline, if you like, you get more and more junior people. If there's a consistent approach from a scene and engagement from a senior level, and even after the contract signing, that engagement at senior level, that tells you a lot about how that business feels about your business, how important you are to them in, in being successful. I think that's, that's, a, that's another good indicator. But you know, in the, the language they use, the, the amount of interaction and engagement you get from them is, is important. And as you say, if you, if you see business development people and coming to a to meeting as a, as a retailer and, and they, they, they are just doing a box ticking exercise, they're running through a list of things that they're trying to get ticked off before getting you over the line and, or, or post the contract, even just getting you to live, you know, that invariably doesn't lead to a more fruitful and engaged relationship going forward in my, in, in my experience. Mm. And I'm sure there are exceptions to that, as I've said. These are just some of the pointers that I look for when deciding who I'm going to work with. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I'd like to to flip it around, flip it on its head now and, and reflect more on your current experience as MD of OpenPay, where actually now you're the supplier working with retailers. What's what's that like? It's, it's very different. And you know, in, this, in the seven months I've been working at OpenPay, it's been a real learning experience for me to see how uh, the different sort of pressures and challenges that suppliers face when engaging with retailers. You know, I was, you know 20, 25 years on the other side of the fence and responding to cold approaches from business development managers, you know, who are trying to approach you through LinkedIn, et cetera. And, and now I'm so much more sympathetic <laughs> to their <laughs> challenges and, and, and what they're trying to achieve than I was before. You know, I, the, the hundreds of LinkedIn approaches that you get on a, on a, on a weekly basis, I, I tend to find myself engaging much more with those with a sympathetic mind than I than perhaps did before. <laughs> it is a real learning experience. But having sat on the other side of the fence, Obviously, I have an empathy and an understanding about some of the things that are important, as we've talked about already, and some of the, you know, some of the other areas that people think about when you're when you're a, um, a retailer or a business that's a buyer of technology or services. You know, mm. your considerations are so much more, especially in retail. I can I can really only talk from a retail perspective. You're very very busy. Retail's going through some challenges, as we know. Um, and uh, the last couple of years have been difficult for a lot of retailers. And so mm -hmm. the people who work in those businesses are in extreme pressure to deliver return on investment quickly. And they're fighting fires all over the place, whether that's technology, people, process, uh, you know, changes to government legislation or increases in living wage. All these pressures that they feel means their focus and attention is, is less and less and less. So as a supplier, you have to make their lives as easy as possible. And the more barriers you put up to making working with you as easy as possible, the less likely it is that they will that they will find it an easy relationship and they will work, want to work with you. Mm. So I think that comes from a deep understanding of their business, the challenges they face, and therefore, and presenting 
you know, how you can really add value to them and make their lives easier. Because I think that, you know, in a lot of instances, retailers are looking for suppliers to make their lives easier, drive more revenue, reduce their costs and ultimately deliver better consumer shareholder value. So that, I think that's, that, that comes from, again, that alignment, you know, when, when, when suppliers really do get the business that they're, they're talking to and they, there's an empathy that, that of the challenges that they're facing. I think that that makes a hell of a difference than than when you don't have that and you're, you're talking a different language. I think that's a that can be you're just talking cross purposes. From my perspective, bringing that understanding and that experience with retail into our business and 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 using that when we're in discussions with retailers and when we're talking to retailers about retailers, I think that 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 add some uh, some advantage for us because we we get it we we get it from their side i mean open pay open pay was founded by retailers for retailers and, and actually is still run by retailers and i think that gives us an instinctive alignment to their philosophy and their goals and really understanding what's what's going on in the, in the world of retail right now as well in terms of yeah, you know what is on the pad in terms of priority and actually how am i going to balance all of the different things that need to be going on you know in terms of transformation as we were talking about you know earlier on in the episode having that insight and that intel must be really useful yeah no, absolutely and, and if you think you know some of the bigger challenges that retailers face are around technology because a lot of these guys are you know they've been around for quite a long time they've been around for 20 30 years or more and their technology stacks often haven't been invested in and so they're operating with retail systems or store point of sale systems that are are old yeah. And of course, old systems require more handholding. Often they're in technology that has been surpassed and, and often sometimes unsupported now. And so from a supplier perspective, understanding that and understanding how to tailor one's own in technology capabilities to that client constraints is another area where I think the knowledge and, the, and empathy comes as, a, as an ad, added benefit. If you're a technology business, a startup that has only worked with startup type businesses, you know, you'll, you'll be used to the latest version of technologies and the latest API layers. And so your expectation will be all your clients will have that capability. Suddenly you, you come across a client who has got a system and a, a, a coding language that you've never heard of, never mind have capabilities in how to deal with. You know, they, <laughs> that, that's going to be a bit of a problem. And the, you, all your best intentions up front and your commercial proposition, et cetera, will somewhat fall by the wayside when you come to actually integrate with the client and you can't do it. And again, I think that's that technical delivery and alignment to technical capabilities often that are a number of generations back um i think is a big advantage mm. but as a payment solution for us we look into to solve the bridge between consumer and retailer and you know working with technologies that often are um you know uh, outdated and i think that's again flexibility and understanding that um and a flexibility in our technology stack which is one of our usps i think is a big benefit yeah so i wanted to to dive into that in terms of open pay working with all of these various legacy systems. I'm assuming you can plug easily into, you know, the various various systems yes. and offer your your next gen flexible payment solutions. That's right. So you know, we've got a we've got a great platform, and I think it's one of our strengths is our technology platform. We have got a number of built in integrations to third party e commerce platforms. 
And we've got an API layer that is incredibly flexible that allows us to plug into broad array of technologies that are out there. And we've built that deliberately in a way that enables us to, to, to offer that flexibility to clients so that when we meet with them and when we discuss integrating with them and working with them in partnership, that there isn't a barrier around technology and integrations. We, we know confidently that we are, it isn't going to take us months and months to integrate with their platform if we haven't got it already plugged into an existing uh, technology plat platform that they work with, if they've got a bespoke platform or, or one of the platforms that we haven't integrated, we know and we're confident that integrating with it won't be a, an exhaustive or, or onerous exercise because of the flexibility in our platform. So I think that's a really important string to our bow and what we bring as a you know unique selling point to, to partnerships. Sure. So can we just help to set the scene for people? I'm, I'm aware not everyone might be familiar with OpenPay. So do you want to just give OpenPay just a, a quick intro as to what it is? Obviously, I mentioned it earlier on in the episode, but it'd be great to hear from you as well. Yeah, sure. So we are uh, the latest by now pay smarter payment solution that helps customers responsibly manage their purchases. And our mission is to, to change the way people pay for the better. So we're, we're looking to offer a flexible and innovative alternative payment methods to expensive overdrafts and credit cards. Now, our data and our research shows us that millennials are much savvier in the way that they, well, millennials and Gen Zs and beyond, are much savvier in the way that they want to handle their finances than, than my generation and my parents' generation have been. And, and in particular, their aversion to getting into debt. Mm. One of our hypotheses is around, you know, student loans. And often, you know, when you go through secondary education as a young person now, you end up becoming in debt um, just by the very nature of just having to pay for your, your university fees now. And I think that presents um, younger people with that um, aversion to debt. And so we see um, payment methods now, um, alternative payments uh, methods like OpenPay, which is a, you know, it's a, it's a buy now, pay smarter, pay later solution that gives customers control of their finances. So this isn't about lending to people who can't afford it. And absolutely, our philosophy is about responsible lending. We want to offer customers flexible payment plans that enable them to spread payments in totally interest-free forever. You know, there's no punitive interest at the end. There's no hockey stick of interest payments in. It's completely interest-free. All we give customers the ability to do is to split payments over a number of months. So if you go onto a merchant partner of our websites and you have a transaction, a shopping basket for £100, and you've got a collection of goods that you want to buy, instead of having to pay £100 there and then or put it on your credit card, we offer the ability for customers to split that transaction over a number of equal repayments. We always insist on the first payment up front that encourages responsible lending and a commitment to uh, the, from the consumer's perspective to not just taking the goods, taking them home, trying them on and sending them back. Mm. You know, we, we don't believe in the try now, pay later model. Uh, we don't think that's aligned to retailers' goals because it tends to drive up returns. And you know, returns are not good for retailers. They're not good for the environment. They're not sustainable. You know, having lots of delivery lorries shooting out to homes to deliver a product that only goes back the other way cannot be good for anybody. No, it really um, can't so, be. So, so by taking a to, by taking a payment up front, 
and we encourage that responsible spending um and we we take an there's an incentive there for for the consumer to to keep the item and actually as a result of doing that we help retailers drive down returns and our data shows us that we're up to 20 percent reduction in returns in our australia partners and i think that's a really differentiated point for us as a as a, as a buy now uh, pay smarter solution mm. well that's a nice little perk as well right <laughs> not only are you offering a new proposition to the customer to help manage their finances in a smarter way but also you're reducing the amount of returns and all of that operational expense that goes into processing them yeah i mean, re- I mean look retailers especially online um, are are struggle and do struggle with returns. It's a it's a massive cost to a business. It's a it's a cost in the sense that product that comes back often isn't in the right condition to be resold. So there's a reprocessing cost. There's a delivery cost, a, a fuel cost, an environmental cost. There's all sorts of non-sustainable costs that retailers incur. So the more that we can help retailers reduce that returns, the better partnership we'll have with them. So yeah, it's a, I think this is a Again, for OpenPay, it's a real added value that we bring to our merchant partnerships on top of the other benefits we bring, which are massive increases in average transaction value and customer loyalty. You know, we see huge increases. And having worked on the retail side of the fence for, you know, as I say, 20 years or so, there aren't that many solutions that genuinely increase average transaction value by more than sort of 10%. There are, there are products out there that have small impacts on conversion. And I remember if somebody would come to me with a technology and a capability that increased my conversion by 5%, I'd bite their hand off. OpenPay sees on average in our Australia partners an increase in ATV of 40% and above. And often we've seen retailers who have achieved you know, 100% and more increase in average transaction value. And that's massive. That's a, I mean, that's a... Wow, that's huge. <laughs> and that, and that, I think that's, that's the wow moment. You know, we yeah, really talk is. to retailers about um, open pay and about um, how alternative payment methods, flexible payment method that, that we are, and, and they're, they're quite astonished. There's actually a moment where they don't quite believe you. <laughs> yeah. Drive return down by 20%. And we'll it seems too good your, to be true, right? Exactly, exactly. So that's then on us to, to you know, to, to demonstrate it through our existing client case studies and, and so on. But um, it's, a, it, it's one of those things that I think, as I say, having been on both sides of the fence my, my whole career, I, 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 there are very few sort of no-brainer um, <laughs> partnerships. And I think, I think we fall into that category. That's one of the, for me personally, it's one of the most exciting things about working for OpenPay is that it is a bit of a no-brainer product. And you go to, you know, retail, old retail peers and colleagues and friends that I've, I have in the industry and say, look, you definitely should work with this because this is, this is, this is a no-brainer. It, you know, this, there are, it, it does all the things that I know are pain points for you in, in, in uh, growing your online business. Yeah, particularly if you've got a bit more of a millennial or Gen Z customer base, it sounds like as well, based on uh, yeah, absolutely. How, how those those generations are viewing money. We see real savvy consumers now, you know, smart millennials who are looking to take control of their finances. Open banking and all, all the new challenger banks now, the online banks, the apps that you can you can use the phone, have given control of finances to consumers that never existed in, mm. in, in my youth. And I think that that's we fit into that category really well we're providing users with an ability to control their finances in a much savvier way a much smarter way 
in, in, in their ability to manage their cash flow aligned to their paydays. It just means they can purchase things that they want without incurring punitive interest and actually having much more control of their repayments. Yeah, sure sounds it. How can people find out more, Andy? Uh, there's a number of ways of finding out more. If you're a if you're a merchant and uh, you're interested in working with us, so you're a retailer, or, or 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 actually we offer our service across other verticals like automotive and healthcare, you can get in touch with us through our website, um, openpay.co.uk. Um, alternatively, uh, we are headline sponsor this year for Retail Week Live. Yes, of course you are. We're really excited about that, and that's in March on the 25th and 26th. Um, so come along to that. We've got uh, we're doing uh, one of the keynote speeches, an interview with one of the thought leaders in consumer trends, and we've also got a big stand there. And uh, you can come along and talk to us about the product, talk to us about you know our, our customer centric approach and how we bring value to merchants. But as I say, our website is our main point of call for getting in touch. Our contact number and email address is there, and we've got a team of people ready to, to talk to you about uh, how we can add value. Amazing. So openpay.co.uk. And if you are going to Retail Week Live, then be sure to check out the stand as well. It sounds like it's going to be amazing. Like Andy says, OpenPay are the headline sponsor. So they're going to be there and they're going to be excited to talk to you. So do take up that opportunity. And if you haven't got your tickets yet, do remember as a listener of the show, you can save 15% off by using the discount code RTS15. So go and check that out at live.retail-week.com. Andy, this has been really interesting. We've dived into lots of different avenues. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. It's been a real blast. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at Retail Week Live. All right, thanks very much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Great to have a chat to you today, Oliver. And, and, and equally, I look forward to seeing you at Retail Week Live. It should be a great, great show. Amazing. Thank you so much. Cheers and take care. So there we go. That was a great conversation that I really enjoyed having with Andy. We went in so many different avenues. And in fact, like many of the different guests that I have on, I feel sometimes restricted, I have to be honest, by, you know, delivering you a a podcast that doesn't last for hours and hours. There are so many different routes that we could go down. So I do hope that you enjoyed the conversation. And I hope you picked up some tips to help create a better retailer-supplier relationship and really set that on fire. And if you are making changes to your retail operation or your retail business, then it's essential that you know how to effectively manage those projects, whether you're working with a supplier or not. But often, many of the important change initiatives end up being project-managed by non-project managers people that don't know the ins and outs of how to do effective project management. Don't let your transformation be impacted by delays, be impacted by coming in over budget, be impacted by a whole host of different failure modes. So I advise you to go and check out my brand new project management training program. It's called the Retail Project Manager Success Program. And it blends on-demand online training and support after you've done the training as well. So you can really get into the nitty gritty of a project and still have expert support and help and guidance on hand. Find out more over at obandco.uk slash project. And at the time of this episode coming out, it is on a launch offer 
but that is closing soon. So do go and check that out straight away. obandco.uk slash project. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, do hit that subscribe button. And if you are enjoying the show, then would you mind please taking a couple of minutes just to write a short review? I know I would really appreciate it. And it does help more people to get on the bandwagon and really transform our retail industry. So please do drop that review in there. That would be so appreciated. Thank you. It would be great to hear from you on social media, how you found this one and what your key golden nuggets were that you are taking away. So do drop a note into the comments or reach out to me, message me, particularly on LinkedIn. I'm Oliver Banks once again. Show notes from today are over at obandco.uk slash 70. And all that remains is for me to wish you a very good week ahead. Have a good one and I will catch you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.